Thank you for listening to Fearless LA. We believe that where love is greater, fear is less. Tune in today to hear a life-changing message from our lead pastor, Jeremy Johnson. The following message starts us in Acts chapter 27, verse 18. You ever took a battering from life to the point where you literally took, you started throwing things that you thought used to be important off the boat? It's funny how a storm will, will, will shift what you think is important. It's funny how a trial or a test or a situation that comes into your life will actually shake up all that is. And all of a sudden, what you used to hold on to so dearly, you're throwing out the boat. They took such a battering from the storm that the next day they begin to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard as well with their own hands, when neither the sun nor the stars appeared for many days and the storm continued to rage. We finally gave up all, what is it? We finally gave up all hope of being saved. You see, I feel like this is a place where the church is today. It's why it's very difficult to preach as a preacher. I'm gonna keep preaching no matter who is in front of me. Uh, I love preaching to this house because we have some people that have got their hope back and are hungry to walk out the life of faith to receive that hope. But in the church today, people have lost their hope. They have been so battered and so beat up and so emotionally wrecked and they fought and they fought and they fought to the final place they said, well, I guess this is just the life that God has for me. I guess I'll always be an alcoholic. I guess I'll always be a lust addict. I guess I'll always be not really the leader I want to be. I'll always be this guy who's just in the shadows that can never rise out of yesterday's ashes. I guess I'll just always be here because every time I try to move forward, it's like one step forward, two steps back. You ever been there? And they had been beaten up so bad that they gave up. Now, can I tell you this? Hope will not disappear. You have to give it up. They gave up hope. They let go of hope. Verse 21. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men... You should have taken my advice before this. Paul said, hey, we shouldn't go this way. They went this way anyways. They got in a storm. They're all about to die. And Paul stands up very sarcastic-like and says, hey, I know I'm a prisoner. Yo, what's up? Y'all should have listened to me. And then he said, told you so. He said, you should have taken my advice and not sail from Crete. And then you would have spared yourself the damage and the loss. <laughs> I love this. He is just not politically correct. But now I urge you, to keep your courage. It's too late now, we're here now, I urge you to keep your courage. You gave up your hope, keep your courage. Because not one of you will be lost. I came to tell you this, that, that not one of you will be lost. Not one of you will be lost. Hold on to your courage, because we're gonna make it through this thing. Hold on to your courage. Because I have a word from the Lord, and a word from the Lord is all I need, right? Only 
the ship will be destroyed. <laughs> it's not all good news, partially bad. Last night, an angel of God, whose I am <laughs> and who I serve, stood beside me and said, do not be afraid. Poem, you must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all those who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. <laughs> Nevertheless, <laughs> bad news, we must run aground on some island. I love this. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight, somebody say midnight. Come on, it's a quarter past midnight. Come on, someone say midnight. The sailors sensed that we were approaching land. I'm gonna skip down to verse 29. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors, somebody say four anchors, from the stern and prayed for daylight. All of a sudden, these, these sailors that are not Christians, do not know God, are praying. It's funny what a storm will do to your life, huh? In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea. Here's some sailors. They run over to the side. They're pretending to lower some more anchors from the bow, but it's, it looks like they're trying to let down a lifeboat. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes <laughs> that held the lifeboats and let them fall away. Now, I just pause for a second. I, I love that the, these people that were on board, that were committed to being on board, committed to making it together, committed to we're gonna get through this, all of a sudden, when their fear took them away, uh, their, them, them away because their emotions led their life, they were pretending to help when all along trying to escape for themselves. They were pretending to help, but their plan was to get away from this ship as fast as possible. And all they cared about in that moment was their life. But Paul said, if they leave, they'll lose their life, and so will we. This thing only works if we do it together. Can I tell you this, church? There has to be a generation that actually gets honest with God and says, I know the church is messed up. I know it's like Noah's Ark. It's full of poop, but it's the best thing afloat. And I'm gonna get inside this ark, and I'm gonna paddle all the way to shore, can I tell you this? It would be easy for us to get out of the church and say, I'm going to take my own little life raft home. But can I tell you this? You won't make it alone. God designed this thing that we would do it together. And I came to cut your ropes of escape and say it's time for a generation to say hand in hand, arm in arm. We're going to make it together. This is not about surviving. Surviving is about mirrors. I'm looking all right. I made it through it. But God never gives you mirrors. The Bible says when you need a way of escape, God will open up a door. He'll open up a window. See, surviving is about a mirror, but thriving is about a window or an open door. God doesn't want to just tell you about yourself. You made it through the storm. You made it through the trial. He wants you to walk out of this place victorious in his name. 
This is not about us getting through the storm. It's about who waits on the other side of the island. Together, God wants to do something new in a generation. You say, I don't need this person to be a believer. Well, uh, my hand does not do good by itself. It dies when it gets disconnected from my body. You do need a one-on-one personal relationship with Jesus. But you can only test out if your personal relationship with Jesus is working when you get next to an imperfect person that you got to love through Jesus. How are you ever going to love the world if you cannot love the church? Come on, this is the world. They used to be in the world. Now they just sit in the pew and they call themselves the church. We have to start here. We have to start right here, right now. If we can't love each other, how in the world can we love them? Oh, it's easy to love them because you have no expectations of them. I expect you to be perfect. Well, you're not perfect, but I expect you to be perfect. You say, man, that's harsh. I'm just reading about Paul. I'm not, I'm not trying to. <sighs> in other words, being in God's will in a boat in the middle of a storm is safer than going to the shore out of God's will. That you will die in a safe place rather than survive in a dangerous place. See, God has called the generation to not just survive, but to thrive. See, I don't see Paul just surviving. I picture him in the middle of the boat while everyone else is puking and freaking out and trying to escape through life rafts. He's sitting in the middle of the boat just filing his nails, just thinking, I can't wait to get to the shore. In fact, at the 14-day mark, he says, y'all have been hungry. You didn't even eat. Hey, it's been 14 days. Let's eat what's on the boat. You know how crazy this was? Because Paul was Jewish. (laughs) It was not kosher to eat what was on the boat. It was a wheat boat, which was not the kosher food to eat during Passover. How funny is it that 14 days represents deliverance and Passover? That it's the 14th day of the first month that Passover happens because it was the 14th day of the first month that the angel of death passed over the children of Israel and granted them deliverance. Isn't it unique that every 14 generations God sends a deliverer, including Jesus? Isn't it unique that on the 14th day of the first month, Passover, Jesus died? And what Paul was doing in that boat on the 14th day was saying, I have found my freedom, not in religion, but I have found my freedom in Jesus, and we're going to eat this barley because we're going to make it through this storm. It's unique how storms will shift and shake religion. Uh, If he wouldn't have eaten the barley, he would have lived up to his religious institutions, but he would have died in the storm because the moment they ate the barley, the load became lighter in the ship. And all of a sudden, where they used to sink, now they survived. And think about it. If those guys would have escaped, they wouldn't have had enough mouth to eat the barley in the first place. So they needed everybody to eat their own weight. They needed everybody to carry their load so that they could make it to the shore together. Can we go on? Is that okay? Just before dawn, Paul urged them 
to eat. This is what I was just talking about. For the last 14 days, 14 representing deliverance, Paul was stating we're going to be delivered. We can chill out and just have a meal. You have been in constant suspense and you have gone without food. You have eaten. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from your head. Uh, can I tell you this? Storms, no matter how radical and how crazy and how overwhelming, and no, it's difficult. I know them being in the hospital, and it seems like there is no light at the end of the tunnel. I know your financial situations seem in turmoil, but can I tell you this? A storm, no matter how hurricanous it is, is temporary. God is saying to you right now, not a single hair will be harmed on your head. You will come out of this better than you went in it. Because now you're going to trust me. Because many times we think that God goes in hiding in storms. <laughs> like he's afraid of storms. Why? Because we can't find him in the storm. We don't know where he is in the storm. And we want God to make us comfortable in the storm because we want to wake him up and have him uh, comfort us and tell us it's going to be okay in the storm. But can I tell you this? If God makes you comfortable in the storm, you'll want to stay in the storm. But God wants to make you uncomfortable so you want out of this storm because this is not your home, baby. You're here for a moment. But God not making you comfortable does not mean he's not in the storm with you. It just means he's so bad and so mighty and so powerful that he doesn't even see the storm as something to wake up to. How do I know that? Because Peter and the disciples found Jesus in the middle of their storm asleep at the bottom of the boat. It didn't mean that the storm had moved him. It meant that he couldn't be moved by a storm. He was asleep, meaning I am God over this storm. This is no big deal. If God is silent, it could be that he's just chilling in the middle of your storm while you're freaking out. And if God's okay, I'm going to be okay. Turn your neighbor and say, we're going to be all right. We're going to be all right. We're going to be all right. They were all encouraged and ate some food. Touch your neighbor and say, eat some food. Altogether, there was 276 of us on board. When we had eaten as much as we wanted, then we lightened the ship by throwing the rest of the grain into the sea. When the daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw at bay with the sandy beach, they decided to run the ship aground. Cutting loose the anchor. Somebody say, cut loose the anchor. They left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes from the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground, and the bow struck fast and would not move. And the stern was broken into pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and keep them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those that could swim to jump overboard to get to the land first. The rest would get there on planks of wood and pieces of the ship. In this way, 
everyone reached the land. The storm was so radical that at the end of it, they had nothing to show for it except their lives and broken pieces. The first thing they did before hitting shore was they cut their anchors. The Bible says that we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. The word soul is unique to me because it refers to emotions. Because I am a spirit, I live in a body, and I have a soul. Inside my soul is my mind, my will, and my emotions. Now, emotions aren't bad. I, I'm an emotional person. Emotions are a great servant, but a wicked master. To me, emotions are like a dog. You can have a seeing-eyed dog that leads people that are blind to their destination. Or you can have a dog that we've put into cages because they've destroyed people's lives. It just depends on who their trainer is. This is our emotions. If you train your emotions by the Word of God, the Word that rightfully divides the truth, joint and marrow, soul and spirit, if you ask it, okay, this is as far as you can whine and no further. Why? Because I'm a child of God. Kings don't whine. Why? Because they overcome. It says this anchor is hope for your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. This anchor will steadfast your emotions. The problem is not that we haven't dropped anchors. The problem is that we've dropped anchors attached to the wrong things. We have our hope as an anchor in a church. We have our hope as an anchor in a relationship. We have our hope as an anchor in a friendship. We have our hope as an anchor in our dream, our calling. And as soon as it doesn't hold, we're tossed to and fro. Some of us, to get to land, to get through this storm, need to cut the anchors we've dropped. Need to cut the holds that we've placed the control and determine if we're going to have a good day, if we're going to, look, I'm not talking about hope as optimism. Hope is not biblical optimism, like smile and you'll have a good day. Hope is a substance. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. Hope is real. Hope is Jesus standing on the other side of the veil, proclaiming victory for our lives. Hope is tangible. Hope is not happiness, it's joy. Joy unspeakable. But if you don't have it, it's not because it's not available. It's because we've anchored in the wrong things. We've anchored in what they do, what they say, and here we are we, with high expectations on these things. Here's, here's the bad news. It's not the thing's fault. Because the dream of God for your life was never meant to give you hope. That relationship is never going to give you hope that will last. You say, I can't see that. So I need something I can see. We like anchors we can see. But can I tell you this? Anchors only work when they're unseen. So this anchor has no power except for waiting down the boat. <laughs> 
This is what your anchor has become in Jesus. It's just a weight on my boat. It's sinking the ship. Yeah, because it's not supposed to be in your ship. Throw it overboard. Jesus does his best work when you can't see him. <laughs> right now, he is interceding on my behalf. Look, this anchor, I may not be able to see it, but I can feel it. And the only way I know that his hope lasts is when I get into a storm that pushes me far enough, pushes me hard enough, and drags this anchor. You see, this anchor, how it worked is it would drag on the bottom of the sea. And at first, the ship would be pushed. But there would come a moment where it would dig itself in to the earth. This is the picture that Jesus has gone to heaven and he has dug himself into the throne. And you will never know his power until your faith is tested in your hope in the anchor. You are better when you get through what you've been through. You see, some of you wish you could have got rid of what you went through, but I came to tell you, you got to test the anchor. How do I know that? Because you can look at the devil and say, devil, I'm still here. So my anchor held. I could have lost my mind. I could have walked away. But for some reason, I can't see why, but I'm still, I'm still here. I'm still. They cut their anchors. The Bible says that they got to the shore, but all they had was a piece. How silly would it be looking at these guys that were starved and at sea for, for days on end, thought they were gonna die, and they finally touch the shore, and they're clinging. You ever seen those movies where there's someone that finally makes it, and the whole crew goes and rescues this guy out of like one foot of water? It's like, dude, he could stand up. You don't have to be so dramatic. But he's like in one foot of water. And some of us, I came to tell you one thing tonight. Don't drown in one foot of water. What do you mean? Sometimes the journey is so hard. The life, life can stink, man. I mean, getting old, I'm finding getting old is no joke. Like, I see all these old people at the hospital. I'm like, dude, you are a freaking pound it. Come on, warrior. You just got like some kind of weird thing plugged into your body. And like, how do you do this? How do you get old? This is not okay. I don't like this. I found out like life is not easy. You know, planting this church, it hasn't been easy. You know, we, we had to hear from God. Thank God we heard from God. Thank God we have that hope. See, hope speaks of the end. But, but sometimes, have you ever, recently when, when I went through this voice thing, I think it was not just a physical thing, it was a spiritual thing. Because your pastor was tired. He was tired, man. This journey's been radical, it's been awesome, it's been amazing, and I wouldn't trade it for the world, but on this journey, me and my wife have, have had to live off our savings, the money we saved up for years for child educations, whatever. All right, Lord, this is what we're gonna eat off this week. Just last year, me and my wife were on food stamps, going into the grocery store. I mean, it's embarrassing. It's fine when you go to Food for Less because everyone there has them. 
but try to go to Rayleigh's in a, in a rich neighborhood. I mean, that was the most embarrassed. I remember walking there, and I just felt so embarrassed. Just to get some milk for my kids. But I wasn't running from God, I was following God. Can I tell you, sometimes the journey, remember last year, my daughter, my daughter going through febrile seizures, and I remember in my house thinking she was like dying. She would, she would go through these seizures when she'd get a high fever and she'd stop breathing and turn blue. I remember yell, running out of my house, yelling at my neighbor, this guy named Bob, come help us, I don't know what to do, waiting for the ambulance. And there's always someone with a crazier story. You know, my, my story is weak compared to someone else. But, but sometimes you finally make it to where you're going and you're so tired from the journey that you're just like hanging on to this plank. Just dazed, like, I don't even know where I'm at. Is this an island? Am I alive? You ever, you ever been there? You ever been so tired running and chasing and doing what God's called you to do? And can I free you up for a second? It's okay to be tired. You know why Jesus was asleep in the boat? He was tired. Why? He's like, that was a long day of ministry. These people are wearing me out. Going to sleep. Right? The disciples couldn't even stay awake with Jesus praying. They were tired. It's okay to be tired. But the Bible does commend us to not grow in our tiredness. To not let tiredness get beyond to the point where it starts ruling our emotions and our life. It says, do not grow weary in doing what is good. For at a proper season, if you do not give up, you will reap a harvest. The Bible says, those that wait upon the Lord, he will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. I love that he says eagles because an eagle is the only bird that flies into the storm. And he doesn't use his power. He uses the storm's power against what God put in him to raise him above the storm. They mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Those that wait upon the Lord. What do you do when you're tired? What do you do? Do you give up? Do you walk away? No, the Bible says that we are not those that shrink back. We're not going to quit in this high call. The Bible says in that place of tired, we wait upon the Lord and he renews us. He renews us. He renews us. He renews us. Doesn't it feel like sometimes when you're waiting, at first when you're waiting, you're like, yeah, I'm waiting. Waiting on the Lord, five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, three years. Haven't felt God in worship. Where's he at? I'm waiting on the Lord for my husband, waiting on the Lord for my wife, waiting on the Lord for the breakthrough in my job, waiting for the Lord in the breakthrough in my ministry, waiting on the Lord, I'm waiting on the Lord, I'm waiting on the Lord. But here's the deal. We got the scripture mixed up because the word to wait right there is not sitting and waiting for him to do something. The word to wait there is where we get our modern word, waiter. It's a different thing. 
See, waiters don't have an attitude. I'm waiting on you, Lord. Do you want anything else from the kitchen? You want me to get it? You want me to serve you, Father? Oh, you're not talking to me, huh? You're just going to sit there at your table? Waiters don't have an If you would just speak to me, Lord, I won't leave this church. I'll embrace my calling. Those are the kind of waiters at cheap restaurants that we don't tip. Chuck E. Cheese. You see, I don't want to be a Chuck E. Cheese service to my God. I want to be like one of those fine restaurants. Those that wait upon the Lord. Father, what do you need? I prepared a table before you. I know one day you're going to prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, but right here and right now, I'm going to wait upon you. And whatever you need, you don't have to talk, you don't have to say anything. If you just look the right way. You know a good waiter, a good waiter will see that you're kind of thirsty even though you didn't even know you were thirsty. You ever just had a good waiter and you were like super thirsty, you didn't say anything, you didn't do anything. It was just in you. And the waiter's like, brought you a I brought you a water because I noticed you're thirsty. Like, wow, you have ESP? What, what's going on? You get a big tip, baby. We want the blessings of God, the tip, but we forgot that we are the waiters. Look, we've got it mixed up. We think we're waiting on him and he's our server, our butler, our genie in the bottle. I'll rub the Jew in the right way and he'll pop out and give me what I want. No, no, God is the person that is sitting down. He is God all by himself. He doesn't wait on anybody. Let me say that, God doesn't wait on anybody. We are waiting on him. We are servants of the Most High God. Look, I'm not preaching for you. Why? Because you couldn't get me through my last five storms. I'm preaching because when I preach, it renews my strength. When I serve it, preaching is just me serving my God. Folding a chair could do the same thing. Sitting at his feet could do the same thing. I don't know what he needs. Look, this is why Mary and Martha was wrong. Not because going and serving God is wrong, but if you're not at his feet, how will you know what he wants? You could spend your whole life baking God a cake and he doesn't even like cake. But if you're close enough to him, you just see his nudge. In fact, I'm so stoked when I can read him and he doesn't have to say anything. I'm like, you're doing that, huh? Oh, I see you. I see, I see how you're looking at me over here. You want some more water? I got you. And, and, and here's what we do. You know what, God? While, while we're working on this thing, my friend in the hospital, my mate, my dream, my while this is all coming to pass because I know your promises are yes and amen, in the meantime, is there anything I can get you? In the meantime, is there anything I can do to serve you, my King, my God, my Lord? Do we have any waiters in the house, come on, that are ready to sit at the feet of their God and say, God, I'm ready to be anchored in your hope. You see, when you're anchored, give me five people. Come on, one, two, three, four, five. Come on, come up here. You ever felt like this? Grab hands all around me right here. Life, this is my job, this is my future, this, this is my past, this is my boss, this is my family, 
this is my degree, this is, this is my dream, this is that other dream that I have forgotten about 10 years ago and it died and I want to resurrect it again. This is that other relationship that I'm not sure is working out. We've gone on two dates. I don't know if the third date might work out. I don't know if we we're dating really. It could be possibly. We went to four movies. I don't know if you consider that a date. This is my test that I don't know if I'm going to pass. This is the gift that I haven't worked on. This is my time with God that I don't know if it's happening right now. Here's my church, and here's what it does. Life spins like the spinning thing at the wheel, at the Ferris wheel. And it spins, and it spins, and it spins. And you can either choose to spin with it, or you can stand in the middle of it, anchored to your hope, and say, all these things may shift, but like Paul, none of these things will move me. None of these things will determine what my God says I am and says I can be. You get to a place where you can just stop it on your own. Have you ever had tired emotions? When your emotions are tired, you can't trust how you feel. You're afraid, you're intimidated. This is why we need each other. This is why we need the Holy Spirit in our life. Because when I feel a certain way, I have to make my feelings subject, not to what I say, but to what he says about my life. If you're going through a storm right now, thank you guys. If life is spinning, and you're waiting for it all to work out, What a day to stand in the middle, not with optimism, but with hope that has gone beyond the veil and is standing firm with hope that is the forerunner for your spirit and your soul. That is proclaiming to God, this is a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Every 14 generations, God sends a deliverer. Go check it out in the Bible. And guess what generation you are from the cross? The 14th generation. It's time to deliver the people of this city by bracing ourselves. Come on, Pauls. We need some Pauls to rise in this room and say the ship may not make it, but we're going to make it to the other side and not a single hair on our head will be harmed. If you're in the middle of a storm right now, I dare you in the middle to give God a middle praise, to give God a middle shout. I dare you right in the middle to lift up your voice as life spins, as life shifts, as the hurricanes come and the rains fall. I dare you to say, God, right here, right now, I hook my hope as an anchor to you. Thank you for listening. If you have something that you need prayer for, we would love to pray for you. Visit fearlessla.com slash fearless TV to fill out a prayer request or find more information about Fearless Church.